I just came back from camp. There's letters in here, and I was just thinking we could just do a quick mail call, but we won't because then you have to tell a joke or dance or something when you get your mail. So we won't do that, but I'm excited to see that our, our living illustration is already starting to grow. I want to thank you all. Um, if you weren't here with us last week, as we talk about outreach and service this month, uh, I've encouraged everyone to bring in canned goods. I've encouraged everyone to, the box on the corner is to, to write a letter or a note of encouragement. If you put a name and an address on it, we'll get it to the person that it belongs to, that you would like to have it. So it's exciting. Uh, throughout this month, we're also, if you have a yard tool, something like that that you'd like to bring in, or something from your kitchen, we'll give it back as long as you put your name on it. If you don't put your name on it, it's going to come to my kitchen. So that's only fair. I like to do cooking things. So there we go. But as we continue to look at the secret of service and outreach today, I wanted to share something with you from the weird corner of my brain. Everybody has one of those. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a small corner for me. It's in the back. And you may not agree with some of my initial thoughts, and that's okay. I really don't mind. You can still be wrong, and we can still be friends. It's all right. You don't have to agree with me. Over the years, as I have grown as a Christian, as I have learned, as I have as I've observed, you all know that I like to watch people. I like to listen and, and see what people are talking about. And this really is just my understanding. It's just my opinion of what I see, culturally speaking, with, with Christians. I'm not pointing anybody out in particular here in our congregation or, or any name calling or anything like that, but it, it kind of goes like this. There are a lot of things that Christians do together, and that's not bad. Right, wrong, or indifferent, we like to do things together. We go to football games together. Go ahead, say it. I know you want to. This is what you give me to work with, Lord? Okay, okay, um, sorry. So we do that. We go to football games. We go to baseball games. We go to sporting events together. We go fishing together. We like, who doesn't like to fish? You go fishing. We go out to eat together. We go to concerts together. Sometimes they're Christian concerts, and we meet up with our Christian friends, and sometimes we even go see some of those old bands from like the 70s and 80s. They're kind of new kids on the block, and they're now all like 55, but they're doing another concert. I think it's the old dudes on the corner, because that's where they, what they are now. It happens, and, and we gather up, and we go do these things together. We'll go see monster truck races, and rodeos, and NASCAR, and things like that. We, not necessarily talking about myself in this moment, go to Mary Kay parties, and 31 parties, and Matilda Jane parties, and Pampered Chef parties. We can't forget about those basket cases out there either that love their longer burger swag. <laughs> Gotta go get that basket. And we, look, we do those things. As Christians, we have cookouts together. Some, some of your cookouts even include things like beer and wine and things like that. <laughs> it's true, it's what we do. And we look forward to those things. We look forward to those times of fellowship. But it seems to me that one of the things we fall short on is when it comes to ministering to one another. You see, we don't always pray with each other like we should. We don't always study the Bible together to be accountable, to sharpen one another like iron sharpens iron. We don't always do those things like we should. We're quick to, to go to, a, to the Mary Kay party. or we're, And I got nothing against Mary Kay or 31. Longerburger's taking a lot of my money, uh, but that's okay. 
pampered chef has taken a lot of our money, but that's my fault. So I don't have a problem with those things. But on the flip side, it amazes me how many times I've been with Christian people and they'll say, well, I can't, I can't pray with you. I don't, I don't pray out loud. Okay, I have a friend in Florida that went to a church and one of the things that his church did as a community outreach was called Theology on Tap. They would go to the bar and then they would sit around and they would drink beer and talk about the Bible. I think that's dangerous because even in our right mind when we talk about Scripture, we mess things up. <laughs> and so you get to drinking two or three beers and try to figure out something in theology, it really gets weird. That's where I'm coming from here. We will do these things, but then we won't pray with one another. You know, you'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't, but there are a lot of, how many people have said to me, hey, did you know so-and-so is in the hospital, John? You should go visit them because you're the minister. Or, hey, did you hear about that family in the church? They're really having some issues. They're struggling with some things. What are you, what are you and the elders going to do about that? How are you going to help them? You see, what, what we're missing here is one of the secrets to outreach and service, and that is ministering to one another. Scripture tells us that ministering to one another is the basis for outreach and service. See, if we, if we can't or won't minister to one another in here, and, and help to meet the needs of one another spiritually and physically here, how can you consider that you're going to go out and minister to someone you've never met? If you won't pray with, with somebody here, with your football buddy, or, or your Sunday school class, or your barbecue buddy, what are the chances that you're going to actually going to pray with the guy at the office who says, I'm having a rough week? Are you going to say to them, oh, I can't, I can't pray with you, I don't pray out loud. You may be the only reflection of Jesus that person gets. See, it starts here. I mentioned it last week. Outreach from the inside out. We've got to be willing to humble ourselves in this room and to serve one another so that we can strengthen one another, so we can minister to each other, so we can go out full force and impact this community. Will you pray with me? Father God, as we've I've laid out some heavy things right off the bat, I pray, Lord, that as we look at Galatians chapter 6, that we'll, we'll open your word and we'll open our hearts. We'll, we'll examine ourselves against your word, against your son, so that we can see what it is you would have us do in this place, in this community, in our jobs, with our families. Lord, my prayer is just that we'll leave here differently than how we've come. That we'll, we'll desire... Outreach will desire service, will desire to be a better reflection of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, as we look at the secret of outreach and service, I want to read from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read the whole thing, and, and then we're going to kind of break some things down as, as we go along. But I really think these, these verses speak boldly and shine a light on how we should minister to one another. Let's start with verse 1. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one, of, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You see, this may be a little bit of a different take on things like outreach and service because a lot of ministers will say, we got to get out there, we got to evangelize, we got to serve. But if what we're bringing them back to isn't ready, <laughs> we're getting the cart before the horse. We need to serve, we need to care, especially to those who belong to the family of believers so that we can be a strong reflection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to start back at verse 1, and like I said, we're going to break this down, and we're going to go a little deeper each verse. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. I want to hang out on that word restore for just a second. I really like that word restore. It's the idea of correcting something with no feeling of resentment, with no thought of punishment. You see, because that's not our place. It's not my job to punish you when you stumble. Right? It's not my job to judge you for the sin that you've committed against God. It is my job as your brother in Christ to help restore you, to help bring you back to accountability and do it with a focus on helping to amend whatever it is that, that has happened that's been wrong. That same word, restore, and I thought this was unique when I was studying this. It's used for mending their nets in Matthew 4.21. Putting it back to an original state, if you will. Also in Mark 1.19, it's that same word, restore. Another unique property in the word restore is it's seen also as a medical term for setting dislocated limbs. See, as I come to understand the meaning of this word, it made me question, why is it that as Christians... Sometimes it seems like rather than ministering to one another in a time of being dislocated from God and from His Word, we're more quick to shoot our own wounded. Let me put it to you this way. Let's say hypothetically that you're at a rodeo and you're going to ride a bull. And so you get on this bull and it's a big, ugly, brown and white, marbly looking bull and his name is Bart. Hypothetically. And you get strapped in with your rigging and everything. And you nod and Bart jumps out of the chute. Bart's compact and small, but man, he is a jumper. And he is turning left and right and just every which way. And about six and a half seconds in, you hear, only it's a lot louder than that. And then you just fall off of this bull. And you jump up and your right shoulder's hanging down like this. And so they hobble you back to the gate and get you back through it. And you're walking kind of like this. 
because your right shoulder popped right out of socket, dislocated. Let's say then your buddy, his name is Glenn, <laughs> who also happens to be an EMT, and another guy say, it's okay, we can put it back in. So they restore it and put your arm back to what it used to be. Yeah, there's some pain involved in that moment. When you reset something that's dislocated, naturally, there's a little bit of pain. But then the healing begins, and before you know it, you're back on another bull. May not be the smartest thing you've ever done, but you will do it. It's kind of the same thing. Nobody wants to say, well, that was dumb. Why'd you get on a bull? Everybody knows because you're courageous if you do that. That's why you would get on a bull. Maybe not. (laughs) Paul wrote, he wrote this letter to the church in Galatia. And he told them, restoration is the goal for someone caught in sin. Healing is the goal. And he said, but be careful. You don't want to get caught up in it too. See, it's on you, Christian, to help your brother or sister that's struggling with a sin. It's on you to help them to reset their dislocated heart, if you will, to help them correct their thought process. One of the dangers of bull riding is getting hung up. And I had another friend of mine who was what they call a bullfighter, and he would, he would run around and he would help cowboys get off the bulls and get to safety because cowboys are dumb. And they do this thing called a suicide wrap when the money's really up there in, in the purse. And they, they wrap the rope around their hand, but then they run it back and they weave it in and out of their, their three open fingers and shut it. Now, the problem with that is when you open your hand, the rope doesn't untangle. So you op- it gets you maybe two more seconds of death is what it really gets you. Because you're just supposed to lay it in there. And when you open your hand, the rope loosens, you come off. But these guys will do that suicide wrap. And then they get stuck. And then it's the bullfighter's job to come in, yank that off, and get them to safety. And they have to do that without getting caught up in the rope, the spurs, the horns. See, so restoring somebody back to normal is not always easy. We have to be careful when we step in to do that. But it is on us as Christians to restore our brothers and sisters. So how do you do that? How do you minister with someone who's caught in sin or who who has confessed a sin to you? How do you do that and not get caught up in what it is that they're dealing with? Well, the good news is we're all not all tempted by the same things. The things that may tempt me don't tempt you. The things that, that you may struggle with, I may not struggle with. And so I can come alongside you and, and not beat you down, but just say, hey, let me help you. You see, most of your bullfighters don't ride bulls. <laughs> They're not tempted that way. <laughs> but that's what we have to do. And for us, we need to pray with people. First off, come alongside them. Set up accountability with them. Do those things in love. When my shoulder was dislocated, people were looking at it. Oh, that looks so weird. Because it was just hanging there. And then my buddy, another EMT, they set it back into place. Bam. And we joked about, well, that could have been a lot worse. I'm not sure how, because that really hurt. (laughs) But the thing is, when when someone is caught in sin, or when someone comes and confesses a sin to you, it's not on us to expose it. It's not your job to go, ooh, 
Hey, come look at this. You know what they did? It's not like that. You don't expose them. You don't expose their weakness. It's on us to minister to one another. Verse 2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Do you know? Yeah, the greatest commandment, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. Once again, it's revealed to us that love is at the core of the secrets that we're discussing. If we can't love each other, we're going to be a poor reflection of Christ in our community. Verse 3 says, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. That's hard to do. It's hard to not compare ourselves to each other. But simply put, it's not for us to judge others eternally based on their physical action or their stumbling with sin. Instead, each of us should judge ourselves and what we're doing in our own life against Christ. And I just want to be really clear. We don't get to judge ourselves on the strengths and weaknesses of the people around us either. That's not fair. God's given you strengths that He hasn't given me. He's given me strengths that He hasn't given you. So it's, it's not fair for me to judge how good I am based on where you stumble or vice versa. We should judge ourselves against Christ and what He's called us to do. When we do that, we'll see what we are worth and we will see how much we have to brag or boast about. Being prideful for the Lord is not a bad thing. It's when we cross that line and, and begin to, to think our greatness is because of us or that our, our ability to help someone is because of our own uh, strength or our own amazing me- mental prowess rather than that God has blessed you with the, with the ability to help serve somebody. Verse 5 says, For each one should carry their own load. Now the word load here is actually burden. Okay? But it's different from the word from burden that's used in verse 2. There's, there's two different burdens there. The distinction would be like this. If we were to translate in one case burden and the other one load, but it's different here in Galatians 6 two, the Christian is encouraged to bear the burdens of others in the sense not that I have to take on your sin, not that I have to struggle with you, not that what you're doing has to be my problem, but in the sense that I need to sympathize with you, in the sense that I need to empathize with you, in the sense that I need to come alongside you and bear that burden with you and in a point of accountability, which means I get to be in your business, which means we're going to set up some things, and, and it is my burden to bear with you until you're back on a place of solid ground, back at a foundation that you can build on again. And then it continues, and, and the burden that I carry with you becomes less on me as you grow. And here in verse 5, the Christian is told that he must bear his own load. And that burden, in short, is Paul letting us know that we will all answer directly to God for our actions here on earth. 
Verse 5, simply put, is that, our respons- that, that that burden is our responsibility. I can't shift my sin onto Scott or anybody else and go, well, he wasn't accountable to me well enough. I still have to stand before God with that burden. It's our responsibility. It doesn't matter if you think, spiritually speaking, that someone is worse off than you. See, because that's what we do. We justify ourselves as Christians. Spiritually speaking, we justify ourselves. Because we look around the room and we know what somebody else is struggling with and we think to ourselves, yeah, I've made some mistakes, but I'm, I'm not as bad as that guy. He's, he's stealing from the company. I just, I just forgot to return a pen or whatever. We, we come up with these justifications. And the reality is what they're doing is not your concern unless you are called to minister to them and you're called to help carry that burden that I spoke about in verse 2. And then you're carrying their burden in sympathy. You're not exposing it so you can feel better about yourself. We can never go out into this community with service and outreach if we continually try to one-up each other in Christian service or in in our Christian life. Which leads us to verse 6. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. I love this verse. This is right up there with, with let us not become weary in doing good. Share the spiritual victories. Share them with the people that have instructed you in the Word. We've got a book that we set out from time to time that, that when people experience something and they, they write back to us, thank you for doing this. It's a little celebration book that we put out. I've got to tell you, one of the most encouraging things in ministry is when someone shares with me how someone else came alongside of them and ministered to them and restored them gently. I'm like, yeah, that's it. We're, we're getting there. You see, the, the secret to outreach and service is we need to minister to one another physically and spiritually with encouragement, not with negativity and not with a spirit of, of one-upping each other. As we walk in this world, we have to remember the wisdom of verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction, and whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but that Spirit with a capital S in there is in the Holy Spirit, which means you have a choice to make. You can sow seeds that will please yourself, or you can sow seeds and bear fruit that will be pleasing to God. Sometimes we start off with, a, with good intention. But then because of pride and other things, we get caught up and we realize what we're doing is no longer pleasing God. And verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. If, say this with me, we do not give up. Say that one more time. If we do not give up. Listen, it's, it's hard sometimes. In our world right now, last night in Orange County, Florida, they're saying one of the worst mass shootings that's ever happened in our country. Uh, The last count that I heard, 50 people have been shot and 20 had been killed. Is that not right? Oh, 50 killed. Okay. Okay, there you go. And 53 wounded. Man. Our world is hurting. And, and we're the reflection of Jesus that they get to see. 
And it seems like every day we hear something like that on the news. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Maybe you're wondering, well, what's that harvest? I can sure go for a good harvest right now. I'm weary. I've been, I've been working hard for the Lord. I haven't seen a lot of harvest. I haven't seen a lot of good in our world. Listen, if the only thing we glean from sowing seeds that please God is the harvest of eternal life, that should be enough. But I also think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Does that sound like our world even today? Like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We need to keep that in mind. We're the workers. We're the ones that need to be going out. Outreach and service to our community, to our jobs, to our schools, to our neighbors, to our families. Keep these things in mind. I'm going to begin to bring this full circle here with verses 9 and 10 together. Let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. In order to reap the harvest that Jesus is speaking of, we have to understand one of the secrets of outreach and service that's just been revealed to us. Do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We must minister to one another right here. If, if we're to go out and work in the field together and reap a harvest together, we have to first have a servant's heart for each other. We have to first be prepared to put each other's needs before ourselves in order to develop the desire and the ability to minister and serve not just to each other, but to serve in our community. It goes back to what I said at the beginning of the message. Christians seem to be able to do all kinds of things together. But the truth is, we don't always minister to one another like we should. We don't always serve one another like we should. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's prejudice. Maybe it's laziness. Christ washed his disciples' feet. He did this as an example for us. John 13, 15. Christ, Christ knew. I shared this with you last week. He knew when he washed their feet. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that, that Thomas was going to doubt that he ever uh, raised from the dead. He knew that Peter was going to betray him. He knew all these things were going to happen. And yet, he still did this final act of service. And then he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. We were at camp last week. Our focal point for the week was called We Are Here. And we talked with the kids about we are here to worship God. What does that look like to worship God in our life? And we got to Thursday night and we focused in on John chapter 13. Because we were talking about part of worship is how you serve God. It's not just the songs. It's not just the things we do in this building. But part of your worship is how you serve God in your community. And i got to tell you with... With third, fourth, and fifth graders, 
as we shared this story about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And we, we explained to them the role that he took on was basically that of the doormat because that was the lowest servant position. And then our, our camp counselors, our, our adults who volunteered their time, came out with bowls, they weren't as nice as this, and towels, and they washed the feet of third, fourth, and fifth graders. And to watch the faces of those kids change in that moment, we'd gone through a time of, of singing and praying, and, and we talked about the Word, and for a moment, they got it. We talked about, you know, it wasn't about washing the disciples' feet. It's about the service that we've done in people's lives. It's about what God has called you to do individually. Think back on why you're even here. Somebody somewhere, at some point, washed your feet. Maybe not physically, but they served you. They met, they met a need. And then they had your undivided attention and they said, Hey, let me tell you about my friend Jesus. And you said, Ooh, I like this guy. I want to be like this guy. It doesn't have to be a huge, dramatic thing. It's like we told the kids at camp. Jesus wasn't asking his disciples to wash everybody's feet, literally, as they went into the world. He was setting an example of humility and service. And sometimes it's the simplest things that are the hardest to grasp, which is why I think it's important to remind ourselves of those things. He was setting an example of serving and ministering to one another from the inside out. And from that example, his disciples ended up changing the world. As we come to our response time this morning, my question for you is when you look around this room, when you look into your neighborhood, when you look into our community, maybe when you look into your own family, do you know maybe there's somebody there that you need to serve? Maybe there's somebody in that circle, in one of those circles that you need to reach out to. Outreach from the inside out. Maybe before you're ready to impact this community, you need to serve or, or have a conversation with somebody here in this building. I don't know. Think about them this week. Maybe it starts with a note card of encouragement or an apology or an invitation to meet and talk and ask for accountability in your life. I don't know where it starts for you to put yourself into a place to have outreach as part of your life and service. But I believe when we are willing to serve and minister to one another, when we make it a priority to do good to everyone, especially to the family of believers, I think then we'll be better prepared for outreach and service in our community and we'll be a stronger reflection of Jesus Christ. What will it take for you to do that? Maybe your first step is baptism for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptistry is ready. Maybe you'd like to pray with the elders about what you need to do in order to live out the secret of outreach and service and start with asking for some accountability in that regard. I don't know where you're at, but whatever your response is, will you stand and sing with us and respond accordingly? Amen.
Yeah, if you see one of these guys, encourage them today as they head out. It's been great to be here with you this morning to worship, to share God's Word, but now it's time to go. As you go this week, I want to encourage you to go asking God to show you who you need to seek out to serve and minister to in our church family, maybe in your own family. Ask Him to show you how they need to be ministered to, and then ask Him how together you can go with that person to serve and minister to others in our community. And let's start that process this week and see what happens. Because I think when we do this, that we will be living out another secret of outreach and service. Will you sing this last song?